Welcome to the Doc Washburn Show, the show that talks about what you actually care about. The Doc Washburn Show streams live at noon Eastern, 11 a.m. Central weekdays on the Podbean app, which you can download onto your smartphone. That's P-O-D-B-E-A-N and is available for download at Spotify, Apple, or wherever podcasts are available. The Doc Washburn Show is on Twitter and Facebook. You can email us at contact at docwashburnshow.com or call us at 866-609. All right, this is episode number 39 of the all-new Doc Washburn Show. It's Monday, December 6th. Yes, I was fired by one of the biggest radio companies in America, Cumulus Media, simply because I refused their vaccine mandate. Yes, it's obvious. Last November's presidential election was stolen. No, my old employer wouldn't let me say that on the radio. And yes, there's all kinds of evidence out there that a lot of people are having serious negative reaction to the vaccines. This is a really different kind of talk show. We're unmasked, uncensored, and unfiltered. And we're brought to you in part by Red River Your Way. Look, if you have tried to buy a car recently, you realize there's such a chip shortage that you may have a hard time finding what you're looking for. People I know have actually bought vehicles from hundreds of miles away from where they live. That's where Red River Your Way comes in. Red River Your Way is a big old car dealership right in the middle of the USA, that believes in freedom. The freedom to buy a car, truck, van, or SUV the way you want to. You can buy online, and they'll drive it to you no matter where you are across the United States. Red River Your Way wants to make your car buying experience as easy and transparent as possible. That's why they've added technology to their website. It puts you in complete control of your payment options and allows you to complete the entire purchase process online. But don't worry, Red River experts are still here to help you every step of the way if you have any questions. Red River makes it so easy. As you browse their selection, you'll see each vehicle has a button that says Explore Payment Options. Clicking that button guides you through a few easy questions that then create personalized payment options that you have full control over. All you have to do is adjust your preferences, and all the math happens automatically so you can determine what monthly payment works best for your budget. Red River, your way, makes car buying online easy. Your whole car buying process is completely transparent. If you want to buy a truck, car, van, SUV, Order online from the nationwide car dealer that believes in freedom, the dealer that will deliver your vehicle to your front door, no matter where you live. RedRiverYourWay.com. You'll be glad you did. All right. Um, I hope I can start off today with a little bit of good news. Remarkable, remarkable story that I came across here as I prepare for the, uh, the Doc Washburn show. A fellow named Clint Ehrlich. Clint Ehrlich, uh, he is a, an attorney, and uh, he's got a story that's, that's just amazing. He's um, funded by the National Science Foundation, a blockchain uh, researcher at KRN, KRN Sync, the world's first proof of balance blockchain i have no idea what that means but he's got a remarkable remarkable story and i need to share it with you he says i have a story the world needs to hear it's about how an american hero sergeant ray jennings was railroaded 
for murder by corrupt politicians and the FBI and how God used me as an instrument to free him from prison and clear his name. When I read this story this morning, I'm like, I got to share this on the show. I have to. So, Sergeant Ray Jennings would never call himself a hero, but he is by any objective definition. He deployed to Iraq in 2005 where his Humvee was hit by an IED. He survived the blast but lost his freedom as soon as he returned home to America. While on leave to visit his five children, Ray was pulled over by the police and dragged out of his car at gunpoint. As he lay face down on the pavement, they told him he was under arrest for the murder of a girl he had never met. Her name was Michelle O'Keefe. She was an 18-year-old college student and aspiring actress. Five years earlier, she had been shot to death inside the new Ford Mustang her parents had given her as a graduation gift. Now, Ray had been in the parking lot that night. While studying to be U.S. Marshal, he was moonlighting as an unarmed security guard. It was his second day on the job. He heard gunshots, took cover, and radioed for help. When police arrived, they didn't treat Ray as a suspect. If they had simply checked him for a firearm, he could have immediately been excluded as the killer. Instead, their incompetence would ruin his life. Weeks after the shooting, detectives asked Ray to come in for an interview. He wanted to help them solve the murder, so he told them all his theories about how it happened. They decided he knew too much, so he must be the killer. In the blink of an eye, Ray had gone from innocent observer to prime suspect. There was no witness, no physical evidence, and no motive, but it became the police's mission, their obsession, to put Ray Jennings behind bars for life. For five years, the lack of any evidence pointing to Ray stopped the district attorney from filing charges. But a powerful local politician managed to change that. His name was Rex Paris. He was mayor of Lancaster, California, the town next to Palmdale, the, the town where the murder occurred. Now, Mayor Rex Paris wasn't just the mayor. He was also a trial lawyer. He signed up the O'Keefe family as his clients, then sued Ray Jennings and his employer for wrongful death. As he later bragged, his plan was to use a civil lawsuit to set up a criminal prosecution. So Paris forced Ray Jennings to attend two depositions where he had to answer more questions about the night of the murder. Because this was supposedly a civil proceeding, Ray had no right to a public defender. He testified without a lawyer, all recorded on video. Paris edited Ray Jennings' answers to make them look incriminating, then played the edited video to prosecutors. The deputy DA in charge of the case, a guy named Robert Foltz, said he couldn't get his finger on any new evidence, but after meeting with Paris, he filed charges anyway. Now, why did this small-town mayor, this attorney, Paris, have so much influence 
over Deputy DA Robert Fultz. Well, because Fultz was his client. See, Fultz had been arrested for DUI and it was Paris who represented him and saved his career as a prosecutor. Now he's asking Fultz for a little favor and Fultz gave it to him. To help build the case against Ray Jennings, Deputy DA Fultz sought help from the FBI. Okay? The Bureau sent one of its top criminal profilers, Mark Safarik. He had literally co-authored the Bible of criminal profiling. In movies like Silence of the Lambs, they make profiling look like a legitimate science. Unfortunately, in real life, it's mostly BS. Safarik made up a profile of the killer that conveniently matched every detail about Ray Jennings. He started with what he knew the DA wanted to hear, that Ray was the murderer. Then he worked backwards from that to invent a theory that could produce that result. It was like if the prosecution relied on a psychic, but one who had the prestige of the FBI name. For example, FBI profiler Safrick attached great importance to the fact that Michelle's window was rolled down a couple inches. He claimed this meant she had rolled it down for someone in a position of authority before being killed, someone like a security guard. With FBI profiler Safrick's testimony, the prosecution was ready to present their case to a jury. After the first trial, Downtown L.A., three of the 12 jurors refused to convict, so they tried again. At the second trial, the jury hung 11 to 1. One brave juror refused to vote in favor of guilt. So, the judge announced he would permit a third final trial, the state's last chance to convict Ray Jennings. He agreed to move the proceedings from downtown L.A., to the small desert community where the murder actually happened, a place where Ray Jennings was already famous as the alleged murderer. At the third trial, the prosecutor told jurors that Ray Jennings could be presumed guilty because he happened to be in the parking lot where Michelle died. That's the opposite of the law in the United States of America where we have a presumption of innocence, but the judge just sat there listening and did nothing. And the trick worked. The jury voted unanimously to convict Ray Jennings of murder. At a sentencing hearing, Ray turned to the victim's, victim's family. And what he said are some of the most powerful words you will ever read in the English language. They still bring me to tears. Quote, as Christ is my Lord and Savior, I will stand before God, and this is one sin that I will not be judged for. I'm at peace in my life, and I laugh and I smile because I hold no remorse because I didn't kill your sister. Jesus is my Lord and Savior, and I will stand before him, and I'll stand before him with you, with you, and with you, and we'll answer to this question, unquote. Clint Ehrlich 
continues here. He says, because Ray expressed no remorse for the murder he didn't commit, the court showed him no mercy. He was sentenced to life in prison. He would not be eligible for parole until he was over 70 years old. His life was over. His children would grow up without a father. He said that should have been the end of Ray Jennings' story, but he was a man of faith. When he was in prison, he always believed justice would be done. Even after all his appeals were exhausted, he believed God would find a way to set him free. Clint Ehrlich says, that's where I come into the story. It was 2015, and Ray had already been behind bars for a decade. Late one night, while browsing the Internet, some mysterious force compelled me to watch an old episode of Dateline NBC about the case. I cannot emphasize enough how strange this experience was. I had not previously heard about the murder. I do not watch television. And I had never seen a true crime TV show before. It was inexplicable why I suddenly felt an urge to watch that specific episode of Dateline NBC. When I heard Ray speak about Christ in his sentencing, it felt like I'd been struck by a bolt of lightning. He says, I was an atheist, but I'd never heard anyone speak with such sincerity and dignity in a hopeless situation. I had to know, was he really innocent? Could this possibly be true? He said, I pulled up the Court of Appeal opinion, affirming his conviction. I was hoping it would convince me that Ray was guilty so I could forget about him and go on with my life as a law student. Uh, It did the opposite. The more I read, the more horrified I became. And he's got a screenshot here. He's got a screenshot of the facts and proceedings of Raymond Lee Jennings' appeals from the judgment following his conviction for the second-degree murder of Michelle O'Keefe, which says in part, in the afternoon of February 22, 2000, 18-year-old Michelle O'Keefe and her friend Jennifer Peterson drove together from Palmdale to Los Angeles. Their destination was a film shoot for a music video in which they were appearing as extras. O'Keefe left her Mustang parked underneath a light post at a park-and-ride commuter parking lot in Palmdale and drove to Los Angeles with Peterson in Peterson's car. The film shoot lasted about six hours, after which O'Keefe and Peterson returned to Palmdale. O'Keefe's cell phone records established that they got back to the largely empty park-and-ride lot at 9.22 or 9.23 p.m., Peterson stopped next to O'Keefe's Mustang. O'Keefe got out and moved her belongings from Peterson's car to her Mustang. Among her belongings, O'Keefe carried a change of clothing because because the club clothing she had worn for the video, a tube top and knee-high, a tube top and knee-length skirt was not suitable for her evening college class which she had planned to attend after the video shoot. O'Keefe got into her car and started the engine, and Peterson drove away. 
O'Keefe then apparently moved her car from under the light post near the center of the lot to a more remote parking space on the lot's northern edge. At 9.32 p.m., appellant Raymond Lee Jennings, who was the parking lot's security guard on duty that night, radioed his supervisor, Iris Malone, to report that gunshots were being fired in the lot. Supervisor Malone drove to the lot, arriving at 9.42 p.m. She stopped near appellant's car next to the parking lot's entrance, but did not see appellant. After two or three minutes, appellant emerged and approached Malone's car, although she did not explicitly say so, the implication of her testimony is he emerged from behind his car. A, quote, I stopped and waited for him to proceed to come out whether he was wherever he was at. Q, when he came out, what did he do? A, he approached the patrol unit. So it's kind of like a question and answer there. Appellant pointed to O'Keefe's Mustang, which was resting with its rear wheels in a planter about 400 feet away. Appellant told Malone, of course, the appellant being Ray Jennings. Appellant told Malone the Mustang's lights were on and its engine running. Malone could see the lights but could not hear the engine. A sheriff's investigator later established with acoustic tests at the parking lot that where Malone and the appellant had been standing, he could not hear a car engine running at the Mustang's location. Malone directed appellant to get into her patrol car and accompany her to the Mustang. Appellant refused. Malone therefore drove to the Mustang alone while appellant remained at the parking lot entrance. Drawing near the Mustang, Malone saw O'Keefe's leg and foot outside the open driver's door. Using her flashlight, Malone peered at O'Keefe but saw no signs of life. Malone radioed appellant, told him to call the police, and instructed him to join her at the Mustang. In the meantime, Victoria Richardson was sitting with three other people in a parked car near the parking lot's northwest corner, They were smoking marijuana and listening to music. As Richardson partied with her companions, she noticed a security guard walk past her car. She then heard a car alarm sounding and tapping sounds. About four minutes later, a security car with flashing lights drove past. At that time, she decided to leave the parking lot. As she and her companions began driving out of the lot, she saw O'Keefe's Mustang up on a planter, and O'Keefe slumped over the steering wheel. Noticing appellant, Richardson stopped and asked him what had happened, He answered he did not know. Richardson and her companions then left the lot. Appellant walked to the Mustang as directed by Malone. When he got there, he kicked a shell casing, which he picked up because he did not have his work flashlight with him. He borrowed Malone's. Inspecting the shell, he told Malone it was a 9-millimeter shell. So Clint Ehrlich, after looking at the Court of Appeal opinion affirming Ray Jennings' conviction said, I stayed up all night researching the case, and I became convinced that Ray was innocent. He says, the next day I approached my father, a civil appellate lawyer, and asked him, Dad, if there were an innocent man in prison, would you help me free him? It was a crazy idea. Our firm had never handled a criminal matter before, but my father is a deeply honorable man. When I told him what I discovered about Ray's case, he was outraged. He was ready to do anything to save this innocent man from dying in prison. Ray agreed to let us represent him, and we started to prepare a habeas petition. It was a long shot, 
and the process would take years, but we had no better options. Then something else miraculous happened. The Los Angeles District Attorney's Office created a new unit. It was called the Conviction Review Unit. Its mission was to find and help innocent people in prison. So we started drafting a letter to the Conviction Review Unit. It was 34 pages, single-spaced, and it showed that the DA's office had perpetrated an egregious miscarriage of justice. I'll list some highlights of just how badly the police and prosecutors botched the case. First, none of the statements Ray Jennings made were actually incriminating. Some things were obvious to him since he had been since he had seen the crime scene, such as Michelle had been shot in the chest point blank. Others were just wrong, such as he guessed wrong about the gun's caliber. Second, another man's blood had been found beneath the victim's fingernails. At the trial, the prosecutor called this red DNA and claimed it could have come from anywhere. That was nonsense. It was red because it was blood, and it showed she'd scratched someone else. Third, Ray Jennings' uniform tested negative for gunshot residue. The prosecution claimed he he must have washed it off. But I found notes from the crime lab that proved the uniform was actually visibly dirty when recovered. The prosecution had lied. Fourth, the killer had fired one shot straight down into the asphalt between his legs. His pants would have shown pseudo-stippling, tiny holes from the fragments of asphalt. But Ray's pants had no such holes since he wasn't the shooter. Fifth and most disturbing, Ray wasn't the only one in the parking lot. There was a car parked near Michelle with multiple members of the Bloods gang. The real killers were in plain sight. But the cops didn't interview the guys in the vehicle or run background checks. Hey, 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 it gets worse. It gets worse. One of the gang members in the vehicle had a criminal record that matched the killing. He had participated in carjackings and home invasion robberies, including one where he stole a Ford Mustang. The 9mm gun he used was the same caliber that killed Michelle. You think all this evidence would make it easy for this new unit at the LADA's office, this new conviction review unit. You think all this evidence will make it easy for them to take on Ray Jennings' case, but you'd be wrong. The unit was created to help when new technology cast out on all convictions. It wasn't supposed to find cases like this where the DA's office had botched everything. Technically, the case fell outside of the criminal review unit's purview. It probably should have been rejected. But the unit was headed by an extraordinary man, my hero, Ken Lynch. Ken decided, consequences be damned, he's going to do the right thing. It cost Ken Lynch his career, but he made Ray Jennings' case the first one 
the criminal review unit tackled due to Ken's tireless efforts. The DA's office was forced to admit its horrible error. And Ray Jennings was declared innocent. He's got a picture of Ray Jennings' first steps of freedom. As he, Clint Ehrlich, the attorney, carried Ray's box of personal property. He said, when I passed the bar, there was only one person I wanted to swear me in as an attorney, Ken Lynch. His selfless integrity is the model that I try to emulate each and every day I practice law. He said, I'll never match his example, but he's my inspiration. And so we've got a little audio there. little audio from three years ago. He says, Ken Lynch is my hero. He risked his career as a district attorney to save an innocent man. All I did was show him the evidence. Ken's integrity and courage did the rest. I, I think I need to play this for you. About two minutes long. What I do believe is that God worked through you and me and your dad to free an innocent man. And I thank him for that every day. How it all started, however, was due to your incredible mind and thoughtfulness, you saw the Dateline NBC video and you recognized that there was something wrong. Other people also saw the same video and assuredly thought the same thing. But what struck me most about you is that you did something about it. You acted on your belief to correct a wrong and that enabled us to work together with your dad to correct a terrible mistake. With your brilliance, insight, and instincts, and your willingness to help other people in need, I know that you are a man of integrity, and you will be a role model for other attorneys in the future. I look forward to what you're going to accomplish. I thought it was only fitting that we administered this attorney's oath here in the courtroom, where you brought us together to correct that terrible mistake. So with that said, will you please Raise your right hand and repeat after me. I, I, Clinton Edward Ehrlich Quinn, Clinton Edward Ehrlich Quinn, solemnly swear, solemnly swear, that I will support the Constitution of the United States of America, that I will support the Constitution of the United States of America, and the Constitution of the State of California, and the Constitution of the State of California, and that I will faithfully discharge, and that I will faithfully discharge. The duties of an attorney, the duties of an attorney, and an, and counselor at law, and counselor at law, to the best of my knowledge and ability, to the best of my knowledge and ability, as an officer of the court, as an officer of the court, I will strive to conduct myself, I will strive to conduct myself, at all times, at all times, with dignity, courtesy, and integrity, with dignity, courtesy, and integrity. Congratulations. Yay. Thank you, Jen. Wow. 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 So Clint Ehrlich says, the case also affected me in another deeper way. He says, when it started, I was an atheist. After it was done, I was a Christian. He said, God was the only way I could account 
for the mysterious force that guided me that night or for the courage Ken and Ray showed as brothers in Christ. Wow. That's amazing. He said, if you liked this thread, please join me for a space on Wednesday. I'll take questions about this case along with the innocent man himself, Ray Jennings. You don't want to miss it. Topics we'll discuss in the space include, is criminal profiling fake? Should the FBI be forced to stop using it? Why hasn't the real killer been arrested? Who is protecting him? And how many more innocent people like Ray are in prison, and how can we help them? That's, uh, that's pretty amazing. That is pretty amazing. That's a Clint Ehrlich, E-H-R-L-I-C-H. And he's over there on Twitter for those of y'all who are, are on that thing. But even if you're not, I'm sure you can find him somewhere and maybe join in that conversation Wednesday evening. Just remarkable. Just absolutely remarkable. Now, um, for those of you who might be watching or watching, those of you, those of you who might be listening to this live, uh, even for the, uh, the, the folks listening after the fact, download the podcast or whatever. You'll know that uh, part of the description here is, did CBS Sports break federal law right before the Alabama-Georgia game Saturday? And so at this point, it's, uh, it's only fitting that we do this thing. We interrupt this program to bring you a special report. It's the Doc Washburn Show Tweet of the Day. Brought to you by Red River Your Way. The big old car dealership right in the middle of the USA that believes in freedom. Your freedom to buy the car, truck, van, or SUV you want the way you want to online. And... They'll drive it to your front door. Now, the reason this is the tweet of the day, what I'm finna do here, is that uh, when I tweeted it out Saturday, one of my uh, business partners, Donnie Copeland, in Arkansas, said this has got to be the tweet of the day. So here's what it is. Here's what it is. Watching CBS Sports Georgia Alabama pregame show. They played a commercial urging us to get the jab three times in one commercial break. Using the Gary Allen song, Life Ain't Always Beautiful. They broke federal law, FCC, by not identifying the sponsor. Hey, Gary, who paid you? Pfizer? Who, Gary? All right. Now, let me, let me give you a little backstory on this. Let me, uh, let me explain this to you. 
I was in radio for many years. I may not ever be in radio again because I'm doing this thing now. But I was in radio starting in 1977. And one of the things that you learn, and it applies to radio and television, is that if you run a commercial and you don't identify the sponsor, you're breaking FCC rules and regulations, and they can fine you a lot of money. Okay? So back in the 80s, I think it's about by, back about 1986, back when radio station owners were only allowed to own one AM and one FM in a particular market, There was some kind of Wall Street firm, some kind of stock market company that tried to place commercials with seven different broadcasters in radio in Las Vegas, okay? And one of the AM-FM combos in Las Vegas turned them down because the commercial did not identify who the sponsor was, all right? But the other six AMFM combos in Las Vegas took the money, ran the commercials. So the one that didn't turn the other six into the FCC, the Federal Communications Commission, who fined each of the other AMFM combos who did illegally play the commercial thirty thousand dollars each. Now thirty thousand nineteen eighty six dollars, eh, it'd be a lot more now. You, know, you see what I'm saying? So people who were in radio at the time, or people who were, have been in radio for very long at all, no, you can't do that. You can't get away with it. And of course. I've never worked in television before, but the same rule applies to television. I mean, I've been on TV, but you know, never had a job at a TV station. But the, the, the same rule applies. If you run a commercial and you don't identify the sponsor, you get popped a big-time fine from the FCC. So I like college football. I was watching the pregame show for Georgia, Alabama. And by, by the way, what a game, huh? I was watching the pregame show Saturday. And they played this really well-done commercial. It was a 30-second commercial, but it was, it was produced like a, a, like a motion picture. They spent a lot of money on it. And you got this good old boy driving his pickup truck in a rural area. He goes over a little two-lane bridge. And he's rolling real slowly past a cemetery and seeing headstones, apparently of people that he knows. And you can tell the wheels are turning. He's thinking about things. So he rolls his pickup truck in this little one-horse town, real small town. And it shows a couple of 
couple of hunters in camo coming out of the vaccination clinic. And the smiling nurse comes out of the vaccination clinic, and he kind of gets this wry grin on his face and tells her, come on, let's go ahead and get this done. And the words come across the screen, something like, please get vaccinated. But there's no sponsor identified. And during this thing, a country song that got about 2 million views on YouTube when it came out 12 years ago by a guy named Gary Allen called Life Ain't Always Beautiful is playing. Okay, so. CBS Sports does something that a local TV or radio station would not dare to do. They run a commercial that does not identify the sponsor. Okay? So my take on it is this. Whoever did the commercial could not use copyrighted music without getting the rights to it. All right. So I tweeted out about it. I tagged Gary Allen, like, who paid you, man? Pfizer? Who paid you, Gary? And of course, he's not going to respond to it. But uh, this tweet I did Saturday afternoon. Has 340 retweets and 958 likes. So it got some people's attention. One guy said it's all over the radio, too. I said I wasn't aware of that, mostly country music stations. Because if that specific commercial is all over the radio, and they don't identify who paid for it, then radio stations are breaking the law. But see, I don't tend to listen to country music radio stations because they, you know, they don't play the kind of country music I like. You know what I'm saying? Anyway. So... It's a puzzle wrapped in a mystery and shrouded in an enigma. Who put this thing together? So sometimes if you're trying to get some action on a particular um, tweet that you have out there that you think deserves um, wider attention, you send it as a private message. What they call it on Twitter, they call it a DM, a direct message. You send it to some folks. And one of the people I sent it to is actually a congressman, uh, Thomas Massey. And he reminded me something I'd forgotten about. Congress appropriated $1 billion with a B to the CDC to promote the COVID vaccines.
So I wouldn't be surprised if Pfizer didn't pay for it, if the CDC paid for it. Know what I'm saying? But regardless of who did what, what CBS Sports did and the pregame show for the Alabama-Georgia game Saturday was illegal. It was against the law. So I just... uh, I just thought I should bring it up, thought I should mention it for what it's worth. I don't expect anybody to be held accountable, of course, but it is against the law. All right. That having been said, thank you to our sponsor, RedRiverYourWay.com for sponsoring Today's tweet of the day, redriveryourway.com, is the car dealership right in the middle of the USA where you can buy your car, truck, van, or SUV online, and they'll deliver it to your front door. They believe in freedom, the freedom to buy a car, truck, van, or SUV the way you want to. All right, now, did you see this, uh, this Patriot Front demonstration in front of the Capitol Sunday evening where all these guys are wearing khakis. They're all in great shape, several hundred of them. Not one obese person. They all have like the same uniform on. Uh, (laughs) They all have masks to cover their faces. They all show up in U-Haul or rider trucks and they leave in those. And the police watch them, you know, several dozen get in the back of each each truck and the police don't do anything. You know, one person had suggested that perhaps it was end of year for FBI and so they had some money laying around that they had to justify. They didn't want their budget cut next year. So, you know, let's give some overtime to several hundred guys on the weekend. And uh, that makes sense to me. That makes sense to me. I mean, clearly they were feds. When conservatives actually do some kind of a peaceful protest, you have people show up with all kinds of different caps, some of them quite overweight. Uh, They're not all wearing the same uniform. So the FBI, once again, just made fools out of themselves on Saturday at the Capitol, in my humble opinion, you're entitled to it. That's, a, that's about as much mention, I think, as, as they deserve. Now, justinnews.com, John Solomon's outlet, Sophie Mann over there, a story that broke this morning, a former member of the D.C. National Guard has accused two Army leaders of perjuring themselves before Congress in an attempt to rewrite the history of the military's response to the January 6th Capitol festivities. Colonel Earl Matthews, a high-level Pentagon official during the Trump administration, has authored a 36-page report 
criticizing the Pentagon's inspector general for what he believes is an error-riddled account created in order to protect a top Army official who argued against sending the National Guard to the Capitol, according to Politico. In the memo, Matthews calls General Charles Flynn and Lieutenant General Walter Pyatt absolute and unmitigated liars for the description of the events of January 6th. On the day of the riot, Matthews is serving as a top attorney for Major General William Walker, then the commanding general of the D.C. National Guard. Walker is now the House Sergeant-at-Arms. The memo argues that Flynn and Pyatt's testimonies to Congress were replete with factual inaccuracies and that the Army has attempted to create its own revisionist version of the events of the day that are worthy of the best Stalinist or North Korea propagandist. Human nature being what it is, yeah. That kind of stuff doesn't just happen in Russia or North Korea, right? The memo comes after a public call from Walker for the inspector general to retract his detailed January 6th report, which he called inaccurate and filled with sloppy work. So just thought you might want to know about that. What, the government lied to you? Really? Is that possible? The government lies? Who would have thunk it? Who would have thunk it? So so they fired, CNN fired uh, Fredo over the weekend. They fired Chris Cuomo, right? Now the New York Post reporting Chris Cuomo claims the head of CNN, Jeff Zucker, knew about Chris's involvement in the government scandal where he was trying to cover for his brother. See, that's a problem sometimes when you fire somebody and, they know, and they've got stuff on you. Then Once they're fired, then they tell the world the stuff they got on you. They're just for what it's worth. I mean, I know a certain mayor who I think doesn't want to fire a certain police chief because the chief's got stuff on him. Hmm? No, I'm not going to be more specific. Listeners in Arkansas could probably figure it out. Uh, Biden's Surgeon General says triple vaccinated people should still wear masks this Christmas. <laughs> you knucklehead. You goof. So uh, a local TV station in Little Rock, Arkansas, where I used to do, I used to do a local radio talk show in Little Rock, Arkansas. There's a local TV station says they have an article that says, do you still need to wear a mask if you got the COVID-19 booster shot? And so I clicked on the article just to see, you know, and I had to tweet about it. I said, wait, you quote lying Fauci and expect to be taken seriously? LOL. These idiots. Fauci belongs under the jail, in my humble opinion, and you're entitled to it. And you're entitled to it. Wow. So New York City is implementing a sweeping mandate for vaccination 
at all private employers. I wonder if there's going to be a lawsuit. Vaccine mandate for all private sector workers. Vaccine proof for indoor dining, fitness, and entertainment required for children aged 5 to 11. Program now requires two vaccine doses up for one. So, um, if anybody was thinking about, um, anybody's crazy enough not to realize uh, how much violent crime there is in New York City and was thinking about taking their kids in to see something this Christmas, uh, bet they're not going to now. What kind of evil is it? What kind of evil is it that would make somebody get this uh, experimental jab for a five-year-old anyway? I mean, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? So wait, wait, what is this from Pfizer? The Pfizer booster trial data submitted to the uh, September 17th, 2021 meeting of the Vaccines and Related Biological Products Advisory Committee indicated that 34 out of 268 people tested positive for COVID within 28 days of getting the booster. What would that look like in the real world? Now we know negative vaccine event the first month after the booster. Now, pardon me, negative VE the first month after the booster. In other words, after a month, it's not working for you anymore. At least the ones that got COVID within a month of getting the booster. Thank you uh, to Gene Rees for figuring that one out. The great Daniel Horowitz over the blaze says that's insane. Almost 13% of those who got the shot got COVID within 28 days. Negative efficacy. Oh, that's what VE stands for. Vaccine efficacy. Negative vaccine efficacy within the first month of getting the booster. So they're going to mandate them. Why? Money. Money. Money and power. That's what I'm talking about, fam. Money and power. Good grief. Good grief. It's outrageous. It's absolutely outrageous. Now, that having been said, this Omicron, even Slate mentions, seems to be spreading quickly, but it hasn't caused any deaths. Brit Hume and Fox finds a quote from that little Slate article. None of the cases so far in the U.S. have resulted in serious illness. 
And the World Health Organization has said that no Omicron cases, which have been detected in at least 38 countries, have resulted in death. So why do Biden's handlers have a... Travel restrictions from, what, eight or nine different countries in Africa over something that's not killing people? Hmm? Why do you think? Why do you think? I mean, if this Omicron, which is... Well, here, let me let Scott Adams say it. Scott Adams is a guy who draws the uh, Dilbert comic strip. He says, should we figure out if Omicron is so mild it acts as a natural vaccine before rolling out a vaccine to stop the vaccine? Yeah, maybe so. People have like a mild cold with this thing. And Joe Biden shuts off uh, travel from a bunch of different uh, uh, black countries in Africa. Now, if he had an R by his name, that would be a racist thing to do. But since he has a D by his name, everybody looks the other way, right? Uh, <laughs> no, I'm not here to make you feel more comfortable. I, I'm, I'm here to get the truth out. That's what I'm talking about. That's what I'm talking about. Uh, oh, so one of my uh, one of my live listeners here on the Podbean app, Brad says, "Hey Doc, glad to have found your podcast. Also, I'm glad." You explained at the beginning of the podcast that you were fired. I suspected that you were after a week or two of the other guy, the guy that puts you to sleep. Okay. Well, thank you, Brad. I appreciate that. And, and by the way, if you want the full story of how and why I got fired with all the details, go back to episode one of the Doc Washington Show from October 12th, which we did four days after my last day at the local radio station in Little Rock. That's the full story. Episode one, which is still the most downloaded episode um, that we've done. Okay. All right. Now, that having been said, that having been said, a U.S. Congressman, Dr. Paul Gosar, says the conditions of the D.C. jail where Americans have been punished prior to trial are third world. Thank you, Marjorie Taylor Greene, Matt Gates, and Louis Gohmert, and see you Tuesday. Well, what is this about? He's linking to an announcement from Marjorie Greene, who represents the 14th District of Georgia in the U.S. House of Representatives. Media advisory, December 7th, Press conference on the treatment of January 6th detainees. On Tuesday, December 7th, Congresswoman Marjorie Taylor Greene will hold a press conference to address the treatment of January 6th detainees at the D.C. jail and 
release unusually, unusually cruel. An eyewitness report from D.C. jail. And that is going to be at 1 p.m. Eastern tomorrow. And it's going to be Marjorie Taylor Greene, Louis Gohmert, Matt Gates, and Paul Gosar. And so I'm sure it will be available on whatever whatever uh, social media platforms they use. Okay, hang on just a second. I gotta I gotta take a drink of water here. Give me give me just a second. Thanks for listening to the Doc Washburn Show. We are unmasked, uncensored, and unfiltered. Many of you have asked, how can we help support the show? Really easy. Go to DocWashburnShow.com and click Become a Patron at the top right corner of the website or click the Podbean logo where it says, Be My Patron on Podbean. We sure do appreciate your support of the Doc Washburn Show. Indeed we do. Indeed, we do. Appreciate that. Appreciate that very much. So, there are like four members of the United States Congress who are trying to speak up for the political prisoners who are being tormented in this uh, D.C. jail. And it's horrible what's being done to them. There are 535 members of Congress. Only four of them were talking about this. Marjorie Taylor Greene, Louis Gohmert, Matt Gates, and Paul Gosar. Where's Ted Cruz? Where's Rand Paul? Where's Tom Cotton? I guess they just can't be bothered. Julie Kelly, the great Julie Kelly over at American Greatness. She says, I don't understand why every single Republican member of the House isn't participating in this. Nearly a year after the opening of the D.C. Gulag, only a handful of GOP congressmen have paid any attention to the plight of these political prisoners. I've brought it to the attention of some of the uh, Republican U.S. representatives out of Arkansas, French Hill, Bruce Westerman, they can't be bothered. They cannot be bothered. Julie Kelly continues, where is every member of Republicans on the House Judiciary Committee? These men are held at the demand of the Biden-Garland Department of Justice. Prosecutors used defendants' pro-Trump, anti-Biden views and beliefs that the 2020 election was stolen as reasons to deny bail. Some are charged with no violent crime. Step up. Status hearing today for the Oath Keepers. Four have been held in D.C. Gulag since February and March. None is charged with a violent crime. No weapons, no assault. Judge moved their trial from January 2022 to April 2022 because Justice Department still doesn't have all discovery available. Sixth Amendment? Anyone? Anyone? 
It's outrageous. It's outrageous. Now, you know how I have told you on a regular basis that if you get paid to work for the Biden administration, you're expected to lie through your teeth without skipping a beat. You know, now, we used to say years ago about Bill Clinton, he'd rather climb a tree and tell a lie than stand on the ground and tell the truth. And then it was like, oh, man, Obama was a lot better liar than Clinton. And now it's like everybody in the Biden administration makes Obama and his crew look like pikers. It's just it gets worse and worse and worse. So I came across this this morning. This is from a couple of weeks ago. Hat tip to uh, Dave Rubin there at the Rubin Report. We've got um, Jen Psaki lying through her teeth about what former President Trump did or didn't say, and then clips of Trump proving she's lying. So check this out. As he refused to condemn white supremacists and militia groups. And you had people, and I'm not talking about the neo-Nazis and the white nationalists, because they should be condemned totally. As he refused to condemn white supremacists and militia groups. Racism is evil. And those who cause violence in its name are criminals and thugs, including the KKK, neo-Nazis, white supremacists, and other hate groups that are repugnant to everything we hold dear as Americans. As he refused to condemn white supremacists and militia groups. In one voice, our nation must condemn racism, bigotry, and white supremacy. These sinister ideologies must be defeated. Hate has no place in America. All right. Have you ever heard President Trump saying these things? Have you ever heard President Trump saying these things? People who watch MSNBC, CNN, stuff like that, they sure haven't. They absolutely haven't. Hey, Brian, come here for a second. I had something to show you here on the, on the comments. This is interesting. Um, <clears throat> but he did. He did say these things. And nobody's going to question Jen Psaki, say, hey, Trump did say this. Brian, you out there? You got a second? Come here. So, yes, look at this. Look at this uh, comment right here. Okay. And now uh, it went up. Yeah, this this right there. Hey, Doc, can you get some of these folks to call in with some reviews? I'm thinking about switching. Thank you. That sounds like somebody we ought to contact to see if they want to advertise. I agree. We okay. Yeah, we, we don't want to mention right now, but yeah. Okay. Very good. Very good. Sounds Pre good, Doc. Appreciate you. Appreciate you, brother. Thank you. 
All right. Yeah, we 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 got a staff. We got a crew. It's it's you know when 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 we realized some friends of mine and I when we realized that my days were numbered for Cumulus Media because I wasn't going to risk my life with a vaccine that a lot of people are having very bad reactions to. We had to come up with something else. And my friend uh, Donnie Copeland said, why don't you do a podcast? And I said, gee, I don't know. I don't know if I could get a good enough return on investment for local advertisers. He said, well, I would have to be local. And I'm like, uh, so the Internet goes across state lines? I think I heard something about that somewhere. <laughs> yeah, it does. <laughs> so, I mean, this is episode number 39. We've got close to 75,000 downloads of the podcast. It seems to be going well. If we ever figure out how to put an embedded media player into docwashingshow.com, then more people can listen live, and that would be kind of fun. But we're... We're crawling before we can walk. Yes, there we go. There we go. Anyway, um, and so uh, two or three days after uh, Donnie Copeland said, why don't you do a podcast? And we were trying to figure out how to do that. I was having lunch with my buddy, Brian Coolis, um, who has a lot of radio experience. He used to work for the legendary Ron Chapman in Dallas, Texas. So my Dallas... Texas listeners will know exactly who that was. He said, well, I like to help out however I can. And I'm thinking, man, you, you, you're very successful doing what you're doing. You got a full-time job, but, but he is, he's producing the show for me and talking to advertisers and stuff. We, we have several people on, on the team. Uh, Donnie Copeland, uh, Brian Coolis, our IT guy, Mansour Sempier. And, um, it's just amazing that God put together this uh, this small group of men helping me do this. And um, actually, they're my financial backers as we're putting together uh, the ability to take on advertisers. And we're blessed to have several of them. Anyway, some good news here. Andrea Jackson over at Fox 35 in Florida Announcing the breaking news yesterday, one of Florida's biggest hospital systems has ended all vaccine mandates. Advent Help, pardon me, Advent Health will no longer require its 83,000 employees to be vaccinated against COVID. Now, I wonder what happened in Arkansas because since I'm doing a, a national show, sometimes I miss some of the Arkansas news, but I remember a couple of weeks ago, the head of the University of Arkansas Medical System announced he was going to break state law and force vaccine mandates on his employees because they didn't want to lose the federal money. Well, now that the, the courts have shut down Biden's vaccine mandate, I wonder what happened with UAMS. See, because if, if the governor had any guts, he would have fired him. Right? If the governor had any guts, he would have fired the head of UAMS for breaking the law that the legislature passed and the governor 
signed into law by the governor. No, he likes vaccine mandates. You know what I'm saying? For, you know, for my Arkansas listeners. All right, now, so... So the governor of Oregon, a woman named Kate Brown, recently announced a permanent indoor mask mandate, as in forever. And then over the weekend, she has her picture taken with a couple of Democrat politicians, arms around each one of them, no masks in sight. No masks in sight. See, it's rules for you, but not for me. That's the way this works. That's the way this works. Yeah, Biden's federal vaccine mandate is now blocked in all 50 states. I wonder what that means for employees of the University of Arkansas medical system whose director, Dr. Cam Patterson, announced a couple of weeks ago he's going to fire anybody who didn't get the vaccine. He didn't care what the state law said. He's going to break the law. Who's going to hold them accountable? Certainly not the governor. Asymptomatic Asa. No. No. Not a chance. Not a chance. Oh. Okay. So over 70% of our podcast downloads come from outside of Arkansas. So I hope the folks from from outside Arkansas, will uh, will be patient with me, okay? When I talk a little bit about Arkansas stuff, so, but I got to share something with you. I got to share something with you. This is from the Arkansas Democrat Gazette, and. Uh, See, there's a rhino, U.S. representative, a rhino who represents central Arkansas, the Little Rock area, and his name is French Hill. And when I used to do the local show in Little Rock, Arkansas, my listeners were begging for somebody to primary French Hill because French Hill mocked President Trump for believing that the election was stolen. French Hill said that President Trump's rhetoric leading up to January 6th was unforgivable. Then when Liz Cheney, Republican U.S. rep from Wyoming, voted to impeach Trump, French Hill bragged about voting to keep her in U.S. House Republican leadership because she was, she was such an outstanding conservative. French Hill voted for a January 6th commission. So anyway, um, conservative voters in central Arkansas were ticked off with French Hill, okay? <clears throat> they wanted somebody to challenge him in the primary. I mean, they would vote for Donald Duck over French Hill in the Republican primary, okay? I mean, maybe it might even vote for Daffy, but anyway. 
So we got a really good guy to challenge French Hill in the Republican primary for U.S. House coming up May 24th. His name is Colonel Conrad Reynolds. He's a retired colonel. And he's a great guy. And he's an American first candidate. America first candidate. Now, I'm thinking that French is running scared. I'm thinking he's troubled because he got a buddy of his over at uh, the Arkansas Democrat Gazette to do an op-ed but disguise it, <laughs> disguise it as an actual news article. All right? A guy named uh, Ryan Terranelli. Washington, D.C. correspondent for the Demgas. And this is interesting because this article dropped yesterday in the Demgas, but apparently Ryan Terranelli didn't want to uh, put it on his Twitter account. Must not be too proud of this. Anyway, here's what it says. Bolstered by a conservative voting record and strong financial support, U.S. Representative French Hill will be the favorite in a Republican primary rematch with challenger Conrad Reynolds over Arkansas's 2nd Congressional District, political observers say. I'm a political observer. You can talk to me. I'm observing politics, Ryan. So, gee, why on earth would uh, Colonel Reynolds be uh, challenging French Hill eight years later after they were both in a primary for U.S. representative when it was an open seat back in 2014? Ryan's not going to tell you. This is what he's going to say instead. Absent from Hill's reelection campaign so far, is an endorsement from former President Donald Trump, who handily won Arkansas in the 2020 presidential election. State political observers, are you going to quote any of them, Ryan? State political observers say French Hill could face a more contentious primary season if the former president comes out with an endorsement for Reynolds. You think? Really? There are signs that Reynolds is aiming to tap into the Trump political brand as well. Really? What signs would those, would those be, Ryan? Reynolds lost to Hill back in 2014 when they faced off in the Republican primary for the Central Arkansas seat. Hill routed Reynolds by more than 30% of the three-way primary. Hmm. So what's different this time, Ryan? Hill, who won by more than 10 percentage points in the 2020 general election, is a four-term incumbent with a seven-figure Campaign war chest. Yeah, he only won by six points in 2018 when Trump wasn't on the ballot, but you're not going to mention that, are you? Nope. If Trump joins, if Trump jumps in with an endorsement for Reynolds, ooh, it's not like French is running scared here. How would they think that Trump might be endorsing Reynolds? What, what do you What do you know there, Ryan? If Trump jumps in with an endorsement for Reynolds, it could pull. Hill farther to the right 
and split the Republican Party in the state's 2nd Congressional District, said Heather Yates, an associate professor of political science at the University of Central Arkansas. Wait, 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 wait. How would moving to the right split the Republican Party in Central Arkansas? <laughs> Heather Yates, associate professor of political science, University of Central Arkansas, So she's an Arkansas political observer, I guess. She said, we will see the fissures that have been playing out in federal politics in Washington, D.C. I think we will see those cracks in the foundation of the 2nd Congressional District. In his campaign rollout, Reynolds criticized Hill and aimed to tie his opponent to Republicans who have been vocal Trump critics, such as U.S. Representative Liz Cheney of Wyoming and U.S. Senator Mitt Romney of, of Utah. No, 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 Ryan. No, no, no. French Hill is the one who tied himself to Liz Cheney, metaphorically speaking. But this uh, Yates woman here, Heather Yates, Associate Professor of Political Science, University of Central Arkansas. She pointed to Hill's voting record in Congress and said the incumbent is not the anti-Trump Republican that Reynolds is trying to paint him as. Well, he sure stabbed Trump in the back. Of course he is. He's the guy who said Trump's rhetoric leading up to January 6th is unforgivable. Right? He's the guy who mocked Trump for saying the election was stolen. So Heather Yates over at UCA, associate professor of political science, is incorrect. French Hill is the anti-Trump Republican that Reynolds is trying to paint him as. Anyway, Janine Perry, professor of political science, a University of Arkansas Fayetteville and director of the Arkansas poll said a Trump endorsement would likely give Reynolds a few points and a publicity bounce, but she raised doubts that it would be enough to help the challenger defeat Hill in a Republican primary. Perry said, I don't think Hill's especially vulnerable. (laughs) Oh my goodness. You know, I got to tell you something. You don't have to be in D.C. to be in a political bubble. You don't have to be in Washington, D.C. to be out of touch with uh, the folks who vote in Republican primaries with your constituents. And this is proof positive right here. This guy with a dim gas is talking to people in their lofty ivory towers who work for state-supported universities, and they don't have a clue. They don't have a clue. So Janine Perry, professor of political science, University of Arkansas, Fayetteville, said French Hill's voting record is something that Trump Republicans and non-Trump Republicans would be comfortable with. She also said Hill is a well-funded incumbent and has a strong advantage in the district. What would that advantage be? 
The fact that he always takes the opportunity to stab Trump in the back? Of Conrad Reynolds, she says, it's not like it was close the last time he ran. <laughs> See, I wonder if anything's happened in the ensuing eight years. Not apparently according to these uh, egghead so-called experts at the universities. The latest federal campaign filings show French Hill's campaign with about $1.28 million in cash on hand. Let me tell you something. If uh, cash on hand is supposed to be a reliable indicator of who's going to win a political contest, then uh, Jeb Bush would have been the Republican nominee in 2016, and Michael Bloomberg would have been the Democrat nominee in 2020. Know what I'm saying? But it uh, doesn't always work that way. Hal Bass, professor emeritus of political science at Washita Baptist University. Yeah, let's let's get another political science here, scientist here from university. Said a Trump endorsement would give the Conrad Reynolds campaign a boost, but is not likely to put him in a commanding position in the primary. Why not, Mr. Bass? He said French Hill is a Trump supporter and has name recognition. Well, he has name recognition, but it's not positive name recognition. And when you say French Hill is a Trump supporter, you're either lying or ignorant or both, because he's not. You can't say President Trump's rhetoric leading up to January 6th is unforgivable and be a Trump supporter. You can't mock Trump for saying the election was stolen, which it was. We all know that. And be a Trump supporter. You can't talk about how proud you are to vote to keep Liz Cheney in U.S. House Republican leadership after she voted to impeach Trump and say you're a Trump supporter. But university professors can say it because they have the First Amendment right to free speech. It's a lie. Oh, boy. But it gets better. Ryan Terranelli, the Sunday edition of the Arkansas Democrat Gazette, his article, which he doesn't even bother to put on his Twitter feed because, well, it'll become obvious, says Conrad Reynolds appears to be aligning himself with Trump rhetoric and has said he would not have voted to certify the election of President Joe Biden. Whoa, whoa, wait, 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 wait. No, it's not President Joe Biden. It's usurper Joe Biden. Let's get it right. Conrad Reynolds appears to be aligning himself with Trump rhetoric and has said he would not have voted to certify the election of usurper Joe Biden, even though claims of widespread voter fraud have been roundly debunked. That's a lie. Nothing has been debunked. Ryan Terranelli who is the Washington, D.C. correspondent for the Arkansas Democrat Gazette, he is lying. This is an op-ed. This is not a news story. But it's masquerading as a news story. The Arizona audit, which came out a couple of months ago, proved conclusively that there were many more fraudulent ballots in Arizona, in just one county, than the margin of victory Biden over Trump. 
okay? The undercover videos at a State Farm Arena, Fulton County, Georgia, Atlanta, proved without a shadow of doubt widespread massive voter fraud there in Georgia, okay? That's two. Racine County Sheriff in Wisconsin has proved massive widespread voter fraud in Wisconsin. That's three. Pennsylvania, Philadelphia, lawyers for President Trump, Rudy Giuliani and Jenna Ellis had a court order, a court order ordering poll workers to let them into a polling place in Philadelphia. And the poll workers defied a a, a court order in a number of polling places where votes were being counted in Philly, they put cardboard up over the windows so nobody could see what they were doing. Did the same thing in Detroit. But Ryan Terranelli, Arkansas Democrat Gazette, lies and says claims of widespread voter fraud have been routinely debunked. How many? How many counties in the swing states had more ballots returned by mail than were sent out by mail, a number of them. But Ryan Terranelli, Arkansas Democrat Gazette, may as well be working for the Biden administration, gets paid to lie for a living, says widespread voter fraud claims have been roundly debunked. That's not true. Anyway, he says, French Hill is one of 35 House Republicans who voted to support the establishment of a commission on the deadly January 6th insurrection at the U.S. Capitol. Deadly? Who was it deadly for, Ryan Terranelli of the Arkansas Democrat Gazette? It was certainly deadly for Ashley Babbitt, who was murdered by a Capitol police officer. It was certainly dead, deadly for Roseanne Boylan, who may very well have been murdered by Capitol police officers, but it wasn't deadly for anybody else. Insurrection. He says it was an insurrection. Have you ever seen an insurrection, an unarmed insurrection, in which people are politely staying within the rope lines and uh, taking selfies? This guy, this guy is getting paid to lie. He's trying to reassure his, his, what few people may still be reading the Arkansas Democrat Gazette, that French Hill is in no danger of losing the Republican primary May 24th. That's a fool's errand, Ryan. That's a fool's errand. He says, in an anti-democratic act, rioters supporting Trump fought their way into the U.S. Capitol in an attempt to overturn the count that formalized Biden's win. No. We've all seen the videos of Capitol Hill police opening the doors and welcoming people in. But Ryan Terranelli gets paid to lie at the Democrat Gazette. How about that? How about that? 
And by the way, because of the pipe bomb hoax in front of the RNC and the DNC, close to the Capitol, members of Congress had already been escorted out before the protesters got into the building, just so you know. He continues, according to the Associated Press, that commission legislation ultimately did not pass in the Senate because of Republican opposition. Good. It was set up by the feds, but Ryan Terranelli doesn't want to know about that. He says, earlier this year, Trump issued a statement criticizing the House Republicans who backed the measure, saying 35 wayward Republicans, they just can't help themselves. Sometimes there are consequences to being ineffective and weak. The voters understand. True. Ryan Terranelli, Arkansas Democrat Gazette, continues, French Hill said he would accept an endorsement from Trump but has not approached the former president about it because he's wrapping up this year in Congress. No, no, that's not why he hasn't uh, approached him about it. He hasn't approached him about it because he doesn't want to get an earful of how stupid that idea would be. He would accept an endorsement from Trump. Yeah, 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 the guy you said uh, is... His rhetoric leading up to January 6th is unforgivable. You would accept an endorsement. Huh? The guy you mocked for saying the election was stolen, you would accept his endorsement. French must be running scared. Must be running scared. In an interview Friday, French Hill highlighted his collaboration with Trump and said he worked with the former president on religious freedom issues and tax reform. Wait, he didn't have time to call Trump for an endorsement because he's wrapping up this year in Congress, but he did have time for an interview Friday. So the interview with a guy from a newspaper in Little Rock, Arkansas, is more important than getting Trump's endorsement? You got time for one, but not for the other. I don't know, I'm having a hard time wrapping my head around it. I don't know. Hill said he worked intimately with Trump and then-Vice President Mike Pence on trying to reach an agreement on how to repeal and replace the Affordable Care Act, which included meetings in the Oval Office. Oh, wait, wait, wait. I don't think he wanted to repeal and replace the Affordable Care Act. French, isn't your wife a lobbyist for Obamacare? Last I heard. So, uh... I got to tell you, I got to tell you, what a, what a hatchet job. What a political hit job. The Arkansas Democrat Gazette. I think it's going to be hilarious when Conrad Reynolds defeats this rhino in the Republican primary, May 24th. I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to it. By the way, a um, couple of things I don't think we should forget. It is December 6th, and there are still Americans in Afghanistan because Biden and his crew left them there on purpose. All right? 
It's December 6th, and the mainstream media and the Democrats, but I repeat myself, want you to believe, or want you to forget, want you to forget all about the, uh, the racially inspired hate crime, the massacre in Waukesha, Wisconsin, a couple of weeks ago. See, because it doesn't fit their narrative. You see, it was a black guy who hated white people who mowed down a bunch of them, at least six of whom were dead. So that doesn't fit the narrative of the mainstream media and the Democrats, so just forget all about it. Forget all about it. A guy I follow on Twitter called Rising Serpent says, you know things are bad when American citizens just wish they could be treated the same way Joe Biden treats illegal aliens. Know what I'm saying? Now, I got a couple of things I got to share with you. Dr. James Hill, Applications of Molecular Biology and Engineering in Medicine, sharing an article from thelancet.com. Now, The Lancet is one of the most widely respected medical journals in the world. And at the end of January 2020, when Fauci was presented with overwhelming evidence that the China virus actually came from the lab in Wuhan and was not naturally occurring, didn't come from wet market, he and his cohorts were able to plant an article in The Lancet poo-pooing the idea that it came from the lab and suggesting it must have come from the wet market. Now, the Lancet, I guess, maybe is trying to uh, rehabilitate their reputation because they got this new article out here. The epidemiological relevance of the COVID-19 vaccinated population is increasing. Written by a guy named Gunter Kampf. University of Medicine, Greifswald Institute for Hygiene and Environmental Medicine, Greifswald, Germany. So Dr. James Hill says, he's got some quotes here. UK secondary attack rates among contacts exposed to fully vaccinated cases was similar to contacts exposed to unvaccinated cases. 25% vaccinated, 23% unvaccinated. He's saying the vaccinated are now a greater source of COVID transmission than the unvaccinated. 12 of 31 infections in fully vaccinated household contacts arose from fully vaccinated cases. Peak viral load did not differ by vaccination status or variant type. So what does the vaccination do? In Germany, the rate of symptomatic COVID-19 cases among the fully vaccinated breakthrough infections is reported weekly since July 21st and was about 17% at the time among patients 60 years and older. This proportion is increasing and was about 59% on October 27th, providing clear evidence of the increasing relevance of the fully vaccinated as a possible source of transmission. 
Vaccine passports and mandates have no medical justification and are meant to coerce vaccination, as Israel's health minister stated. In Israel, an outbreak involved 16 healthcare workers, 23 exposed patients, and two family members. The source was a fully vaccinated COVID 19 patient. 14 fully vaccinated patients became severely ill or died. The two unvaccinated patients developed mild disease. So, the Lancet now says vaccinated, now a greater source of COVID transmission than unvaccinated. I'll put this on my Facebook page. Maybe they'll finally ban me. Maybe they'll finally ban me. So, look, the government and the healthcare establishment don't want you to know about hydroxychloroquine. They don't want you to know about ivermectin. They don't want you to know about taking vitamin D. They don't want you to know about losing weight so you're not obese and being physically fit. All things which are proactive against the Rona, the China virus, which they also don't want you to think about the fact that it has a 99.8% survival rate anyway, right? So have you ever thought, gee, I wonder if there's some other kind of um, health care out there they don't want me to know about? Because I know they don't want me to know about hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin. Is there something else out there? Yes, there is. Yes, there is. Let me tell you about the best-kept secret in American health care. Let's start with this. Do you have migraines, neck pain, back pain, vertigo, even leg pain? Do you have problems with allergies different parts of the year? Okay, now look in the mirror. Does one eye look bigger than the other? Are your eyes off balance? Are your shoulders off balance? If the answer to any of these is yes, you probably need to get your atlas adjusted. Oh, 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 and by the way, even look at a picture of yourself. Do you naturally lean one way or the other because that's how you feel most comfortable instead of standing up straight, sitting up straight? If the answer is yes, you probably need to get your atlas adjusted. That's how I get rid of my migraines, my neck pain. Let me tell you how this works because this is the best-kept secret in American healthcare. Your skull weighs anywhere from 8 to 15 pounds. It rests on the top bone of your spinal column, the atlas, the C1 which only weighs two ounces. So it's really easy for your atlas to get out of alignment. If it does, your whole spinal column can get kinked up like a chain, which restricts your central nervous system's ability to send impulses to the rest of your body. It can affect your respiratory system, your reproductive system, your digestive system. And yes, it can cause migraines, neck pain, back pain, vertigo, allergy problems. Do yourself a favor and call my friends at the Arkansas Cervical Center if you're in Arkansas at 501-279-2009 for a free consultation to see if you need to get your atlas adjusted. If you're outside Arkansas, go to their website, turnmypoweron.com, and click on the tab that says Find a Doctor to find one close to where you are. Again, for my Arkansas listeners, 
Call my friends, the Arkansas Upper Circle Center. They help me. They help my wife. They help so many people we know. 501-279-2009 for a free consultation to see if you need to get your athletes adjusted. If you're outside of Arkansas, just go to the website, turnmypoweron.com, click on Find a Doctor so you can find someone to see if you need to get your atlas adjusted close to where you are. Now, I really do believe it's the best-kept secret in American healthcare. Millions of people are finding out about ivermectin. And some of them are getting past the lie. Horse paste. Now, you know, I mentioned earlier about the University of Arkansas medical system. The director, Dr. Cam Patterson, announcing a few weeks ago that... He was going to uh, break state law and force his employees, state employees now, to get vaccinated. Well, UAMS was also the entity that planted stories to local TV stations in Little Rock saying that ivermectin was horse paste. Knowing, knowing that the people who developed ivermectin got a Nobel Prize for its use with humans six years ago, knowing that millions of people have had very positive effects from ivermectin. Now, why would an organization like the University of Arkansas Medical System plant lies with local TV stations? Follow the money, follow the money, follow the money, follow the money. All right, in case you missed it, in an earlier episode of the Doc Washburn Show, Pfizer documents reveal over 1,200 vaccine deaths over a 90-day trial period. The Food and Drug Administration has released the first batch of documents related to Pfizer's COVID-19 vaccine program after a federal judge ordered they must comply with a massive Freedom of Information Act request. The request was filed by the Public Health and Medical Professionals for Transparency Group which consists of more than 30 professors and scientists. They requested any and all data that factored into the FDA's decision to authorize Pfizer's vaccine for emergency use. The plaintiffs argued the entire purpose of Freedom of Information Act requests is to assure government transparency. It's difficult to imagine a greater need for transparency then immediate disclosure of the documents relied upon by the FDA to license a product that is now being mandated to over 100 million Americans under penalty of losing their careers, their income, their military service status, and far worse. The FDA was ordered to comply after challenging the request in court. The agency had previously stated they would need a whopping 55 years to process the request. An official Pfizer document titled, Cumulative analysis of post-authorization adverse event records reports obtained via this Freedom of Information Act request contains data on adverse reactions to the vaccine. According to the document, there were tens of thousands of adverse effects to the vaccine recorded over just a 90-day period from December 1st, 2020 to February 28th, 2021. Over this period, there were 1,400 cases of cardiovascular issues accounting for 3.3% of the data set. More alarmingly, there were also 1,223 recorded fatalities over the 90-day time period. 
Gee, I wonder why they didn't want to uh, this uh, information getting out. The data only included serious adverse effects. Any side effects deemed non-serious were to be processed within 90 days in a separate report. Data included in this document was also collected voluntarily, according to the document's methodology section. Nevertheless, the paper concludes the review of available data deemed the vaccine safe and ready for market. Emergency use was authorized by the FDA soon after. More documents will be released in the coming weeks. Public health and medical professionals for transparency filed another motion that would force the FDA to expedite the release of requested documents. That's, uh, that's really something, isn't it? That's really something, isn't it? Now, I don't know if you're aware of this, but the chief medical officer of Pfizer, Dr. Mace Rothenberg, was on a program called Washington Journal on C-SPAN a couple of days ago. And he said, look, other vaccines have caused death, but not the Pfizer vaccines. Now, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. I got a friend who still does the morning show at the last radio station I worked at. He's a good man. His name is Toby Howell. Hope I get to work with him again someday. But anyway, a few weeks ago, he had uh, the top epidemiologist of the state of Arkansas, chief epidemiologist for the Arkansas Department of Health, on his program, and he asked her how many people had died as a result of getting vaccinated, and she said none, not one. Well, that's a lie. And the chief medical officer of Pfizer proves it's a lie as he's trying to defend his own co company. It's only 22 seconds long. Check this out. Let me make it clear that when we're talking about the Pfizer-BioNTech vaccine, there have been no deaths have been reported to have occurred directly as a result of the vaccine and the vaccine alone. Okay? There have been deaths reported with other vaccines, and they're now beginning to look into the reasons for this. But I think that that really needs to be be clarified. Even though the paperwork that George judge ordered release said there are over 1,200 people who died as a result of the Pfizer vaccine from uh, in the study the study group from December 1st through February 28th of this year, but. I think it's remarkable that in trying to defend the company that gives him a paycheck, he's throwing Moderna and Johnson Johnson under the bus saying, well, yeah, well, you know, some of their vaccines have caused deaths, but not our vaccine. I mean, did you ever think you would see this they, because I'm telling you, you know, I remember, uh, I remember reading that, um, 
the things that are whispered in secret will eventually be shattered from the housetops. Y'all, it's, it's all going to come out. It's all going to come out. <clears throat> you know, I mean, we already know that masks don't work, and still you see people walking down sidewalks with masks on. You see people in their cars with masks on. You see people coming to church with masks on. Know what I'm saying? It's crazy, y'all. It's crazy. You see people saying, well, I'm fully vaccinated. I, I got no worries. Oh, really? So you don't know that fully vaccinated people can still get the Rona, can still infect other people with the Rona, and can still die from it. You, you don't know about that. Oh, Okay. Now, I stumbled across an interesting conversation going back and forth on Twitter over here. Will Chamberlain said, whenever establishment Democrats talk about the need to, quote, protect democracy, unquote, or about how, quote, democracy is in danger, unquote, just substitute the word oligarchy in for democracy and it'll actually make sense. So this troll who goes by the name Molly Morijo says, 70% of Americans support reproductive health freedom. Republicans want to shut it down. So who's the oligarchy? Well, interesting answers. One guy said 65% of Americans also want to ban second trimester abortions, which requires overturning Roe v. Wade. And then somebody else printed a quote from Washington Times article from a couple of years ago. Most American adults who say they are pro-choice oppose late-term abortion and denying newborns care. Even most Americans who call themselves pro-choice oppose late-term abortion, according to a newly released poll, putting them at odds with the Democrat push for state legislation removing barriers to third trimester procedures. A survey conducted by U.gov with the pro-life group Americans United for Life found that 66% of U.S. adults who identify as pro-choice opposed third trimester abortions and 68% oppose abortions the day before a baby is born. Yeah. So you got all these Democrats out there saying, well, if Roe v. Wade gets overturned, Republicans are really, really going to be in bad shape in the 2022 elections. Uh, not so much. Not so much. Now, I wish I thought about this when I was corresponding with Cumulus Media about uh, why I was going to refuse the vaccine. This guy named Matt King out there on uh, Twitter, who's just sharp as a tack, he says, weekly scripture passage to my HR department who require photo proof of a negative COVID test. Here's what he gave him. <clears throat> Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? 
She said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. That's strong. That is so strong, y'all. But um, yeah, sharing your faith with the uh, with the HR department—that's a great idea. That's a great idea. Yeah, speaking of matters of faith, I found this odd. There's an article over the uh, the Christian Post. A few days ago, study says most most Catholics and mainline Protestants say faith in God not required to enter heaven. Okay, wait, what? More than three years after Pope Francis sparked a firestorm of religious debate by telling a young boy that his deceased atheist father might still end up in heaven, a new study from the Pew Research Center shows a majority of Catholic and mainline Christians also believe people who don't believe in God will go to heaven. I'm not sure how Christian they are then. Data for the study conducted September 20th through 26th was collected from a nationally representative sample of almost 6,500 U.S. adults. Researchers with the Pew Research Center decided for the first time to tackle deep philosophical questions like the meaning of life, the purpose of suffering, and why bad things happen to people. The national study was released amid a backdrop of major life-changing events for many, most notably the China virus pandemic, which isn't really a pandemic, which has claimed millions of lives globally. Well, it hasn't really. It hasn't really. Anyway, in discussing American views on the afterlife, the study showed that majorities of U.S. adults believe in both heaven and hell, but significantly more believe in heaven. Some 73% of respondents reported they believe in heaven, while 62% of respondents reported they believe in hell. When it comes to Christians as a group, the study showed that the overwhelming majority of all Christian groups supported belief in heaven. Protestants from historically black and evangelical churches were more likely than mainline Protestant Christians or Catholics to express belief in hell. Why are the mainline Protestant Christians or Roman Catholics, they're working with a different Bible than the rest of us? Oh, oh, okay, they just don't believe the Bible. Okay, all right, I got you. And while 39% of all American adults in general believe people who don't believe in God can still go to heaven, Well, who are they going to bump into when they get there then? 68% of Catholics and 56% of mainline Protestant Christians were found to hold this belief that people don't have to believe in God to go to heaven, compared to 21% of evangelicals and 31% of Christians from historically black churches. When it comes to suffering in the world, few respondents in the study blame God. In general, most agreed that, well, no, wait a minute. I want to get back to this thing, though. Hang on a second. How is it that you can believe you go to heaven without believing in God? This is nuts, man. 
This is nuts. I mean, see, if you actually crack the Bible open, if you actually read what it says, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Okay. Now, you're not given the option of saying, well, he was a great uh, philosopher, a great moral teacher, but I don't believe that he's son of God. I don't believe he's the only way to get to the Father. You're not given that option. He could not be a great moral leader, a great prophet like the Muslims say he is, and then be lying all the time about, I'm the only way to the Father. So which is it? Which is it? Just food for thought, just food for thought. Let's see, a guy following me, uh, listening live here on the Podbean app, goes by Big Chief Thunderlung, says, my wife just found information that COVID can collect from its host other viruses information like AIDS and mutate and pass. Is this possible? Hey, with these experimental vaccines, uh, nothing would surprise me. Nothing would surprise me. I mean, where did you find the information? Um, Alex Berenson is a good guy to read over there in Substack. He uh, has a lot of good information about this stuff. Also, um, Dr. Robert McCullough, uh, Dr. Mercola, M-E-R-C-O-L-A, and you might want to look up the, uh, the frontline doctors also. By looking it up, I would suggest DuckDuckGo because Google tends to censor things. Interesting. Interesting. But there's so much. There's so much to talk about. Oh, did you hear about this? This is way back in 2012. Pfizer pays $60 million to settle allegations of bribing doctors. Well, I'm sure they would never do something like that again, right? They would never do something like that again. Not a chance. Not a chance. By the way, um, Jesse Smollett's trial got underway last week. And uh, somebody named David Rutz put together an interesting compilation of what Jesse said compared with what the Chicago... Police Superintendent Eddie Johnson said, I thought I should share this with you. Check it out. I think that what people need to hear is just the truth. I'm left hanging my head and asking why. You do such a disservice when you lie about things like this. Why would anyone, especially an African-American man, use the symbolism of a noose to make false accusations? I noticed the rope around my neck and I started screaming. How could someone look at the hatred and suffering associated with that symbol and see an opportunity to manipulate that symbol to further his own public profile. They called me There's no which way you cut it. Bogus police reports cause real harm. The fact that we have these fear mongrels. The accusations within this phony attack received national attention for weeks. If I had said it was a Muslim or Mexican, or someone black, I feel like the doubters would have supported me a lot much more. So I'm offended by what's happened, 
and I'm also angry. Just remember that mine was reported right away. And look what has happened. This publicity stunt was a scar that Chicago didn't earn and certainly didn't deserve. So they get to go free and go about their life and possibly attack someone else? Smollett attempted to gain attention by sending a false letter that relied on racial, homophobic, and political language. Do you think there's a link between the letter and the attack? Um, and you did mention it to the police right away absolutely. about the letter. When that didn't work, Smollett paid $3,500 to stage this attack and drag Chicago's reputation through the mud in the process. I will never be the man that this did not happen to. Mm. I am forever changed. And why? This stunt was orchestrated by Smollett because he was dissatisfied with his salary. If the attackers are never found, how will you be able to heal? Um, I don't know. But to put the national spotlight on Chicago for something that is both egregious and untrue is simply shameful. I still want to believe with everything that has happened that there's something called justice. You notice he didn't say fear mongers, he said fear mongrels. I wonder if that was a Freudian slip or he just doesn't know what the term is because he's not that bright. Not that bright. Um, I'm just... Uh, uh, new testimony? Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Uh, it was about this time every day that the Podbean app uh, halts our live stream, but the whole thing is up on the, uh, you know, when you download the, uh, when you download the the podcast later on. And apparently they say to get it, to get them to extend it beyond two hours or five minutes or two hours or six minutes or whatever. Um, you have to send a gift on the, on the Podbean app. It doesn't involve money. I don't even understand how it works, but anyway, I appreciate everything. Um, <laughs> Jussie Smollett testifies on stand. First night he met Bola Usandero, one of the two brothers from Nigeria that he paid to beat him up. They did weed and cocaine together, then went to a club, then went to a bathhouse together. Smollett testifies he and Bola Osandero got private room and gay bathhouse, did more drugs, and made out. Oh, man. Oh, man. So somebody asks, what does that have to do with anything? And somebody responds, he claimed the brothers hated him and lied about him because he's gay. Guess not. Oh, man, it's just disgusting, isn't it? It's just disgusting. Anyway, be that as it may, um, Little Red Lion Hood, just a few minutes ago, 
was asked if she will admit that the Hunter Biden laptop is real and not Russian disinformation, she didn't like the question. It went something like this. White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki. Uh, go ahead. Thanks, Jen. Thanks, Jen. Uh, the Biden administration today put out a big report about addressing corruption. I want to ask you two quick and hopefully pretty easy questions about that. Uh, shortly after President Biden's uh, virtual meeting with the Chinese president, uh, the first son's attorney said that he has finally divested from a Chinese investment fund controlled by state-owned entities. I was hoping you could commit to uh, basic transparency about that transaction, including the name of the buyer, the dollar amount, and the timing. And the second question is, my colleague Miranda Devine has a new book out called uh, The Laptop from Hell, and I was hoping that you could confirm that the laptop is indeed authentic um, and not Russian disinformation, as you seem to suggest on Twitter last year. Well, uh, on the first, uh, the president's son is not an employee of the federal government, so I'd point you to his representatives. And as it relates to the book, I have neither, neither had the time nor interest in exploring or reading the book. Go ahead, the Tina. Attorney go ahead, Tina. I, I think I answered your question. Go ahead. You, well, you can go to the representative of the person who's not an employee of the federal government. Go ahead, Tina. I think we have to move on. Go ahead. No. No. Because your client usurper Joe Biden is the one who said it was Russian disinformation. You didn't answer the question. Lying through his teeth, her teeth. Sorry, Freudian slip. I think she identifies as a woman. Lying through her teeth. Oh, no, this is interesting. Andrew F. Branca, attorney, self-defense law, author of the Law of Self-Defense, third, third edition. Pronouns, U.S., Constitution. He has this proposal out. Why did Alec Baldwin actually do the interview with George Stepp on all of us? Andrew Branca's theory is here. <clears throat> Alec Baldwin didn't do the interview with George Steffi Stepp on all of us to try to get out of a four-year max for involuntary manslaughter. He did the Steffi interview to get out of a life sentence for felony murder. Really? I mean, I hadn't really, uh, no, it makes sense, but we'll see. We'll see. Interesting. Interesting. You know, I, I hope that I've given you some stuff today that you haven't heard anywhere else. I mean, did, anybody else talking about the Pfizer chief medical officers saying, although their vaccine hasn't killed anybody, others have? Did you get that from anybody? It's one of those things. Just one of those things. Anybody else tell you that it uh, looks like CBS Sports broke the law Saturday in the pregame show for the Alabama-Georgia game? Well, I don't think so. I mean, I don't think so. Um, uh, Briefly... The BBC has the key moments from the first week of the trial of Ghislaine Maxwell, 
former girlfriend and alleged pimp for Jeffrey Epstein. Uh, the allegation that Maxwell preyed on vulnerable young girls in her opening statement Monday, prosecutor Laura Pomerantz called Ms. Maxwell a predator who recruited and groomed underage girls for a long-term companion, Jeffrey Epstein, to abuse. Epstein's pilot flew a prince and presidents. Wow, Prince Andrew, Bill Clinton. Defense accused key accuser of acting scene. Employee told not to look Epstein in the eye. Oh, you'd have that in common with Hillary, right? Jurors were shown Epstein's massage table. So we'll keep watching that for you. We'll keep watching that for you. I don't know if you saw the uh, the video from Saturday night in Chicago. A mob of young black folks beating up a 49-year-old Chicago Transit Authority bus driver who was inspecting his bus when he was attacked by the mob. He was hospitalized for his injuries. The attack followed another beating of a Chicago Transit Authority employer, employee earlier last week. The bus driver happened to be black. Everybody beating him up was black. What's that all about? I don't even know. I don't even know. Why? Why is that? It's ridiculous. It's absolutely ridiculous. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. This is something that the mayor of Chicago has brought on herself. The mayor of Chicago has brought this on her community. Um, I mentioned earlier, let's not forget about the Waukesha massacre. I don't know if you heard about this, but the suspect in the Waukesha massacre, the Christmas parade, scored high in pretrial risk assessment, but was released on a very low bond anyway. I don't know if you heard about that, but it's true. But it's true. Anyway, um, that about wraps it up for today. I, I appreciate all you guys so much. I, I really appreciate all you guys so much. Uh, we're at right around 75,000 downloads after... Uh, there's 38 episodes. And, of course, you've been listening to episode 39 of the all-new Doc Washburn Show. Today's program has been produced by Tim Terrible, directed by Mick Messy. This has been a terribly messy production. Portions of today's show will be taken overseas and dropped. If you'd like a transcript of today's episode of the all-new Doc Washburn Show, simply peel the roof off a Rolls-Royce panel truck and send it to Mansour's Computer Solutions, 7th Floor, of the Ephemeral B. Smoot Building, Whitehall, Arkansas, in care of Sheriff Mansur Sempier X. Well, that's the way it is. Monday, December 6, 2021.